0: Hello, I'm Liz and welcome to this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News for 16th of August 2023.
1: Hello and welcome to the Black Country Talking News, brought to you by the sight loss charity Beacons. org forward slash talking dash news as a podcast via services such as apple or spotify or as a free cd simply contact beacon center on 01902 880 111 we hope you enjoy this week's edition
0: reading for you this week we have myself liz angela christine helen mina simon And of course, not forgetting Flashback Roger. In this week's edition, we have the latest local news for the Black Country, the quiz with Mina, an update from Beacon. With the new season now underway, we have the latest football news for both West Bromwich Albion and Wolves. We have another bulletin of practical information and sight loss tips. And did you know section from Flashback Roger. We also have the weather for the week ahead. And with the World Blind Games taking place in Birmingham from this Friday, we take time out to reflect on the life and times of Paralympian and Disability Rights Champion, Baroness Tanny Grey-Thompson. Local news to start, though, with myself, Liz, Christine, but first, Angela.
2: New figures show more than 320,000 patients were waiting to start routine hospital treatment in the Black Country in Staffordshire at the end of June, as NHS waiting lists in England climbed to a new record high. Data published by the NHS England revealed 7.6 million people in the country were waiting to start treatment at the end of June, up from 7.5 million in May. The figure is the highest since records began in 2007. Locally the data shows there were 81,208 patients waiting to start treatment at the Royal Wolverhampton NHS Trust which runs New Cross Hospital and the figure was 49,264 at the Dudley Group NHS Foundation Trust at the end of June. Overall, the Regions Trust saw a rise in the number of patients waiting for non-urgent elective operations or treatment from the end of May, when the figure was 315,795. The Government and the NHS England vowed to eliminate all waits of more than 18 months by April 2023, excluding exceptionally complex cases or patients who choose to wait longer with the aim of stopping waits of more than a year by March 2025. The publication of the figures comes after the NHS announced that patients affected by backlogs could skip the queue at their local hospital if they are willing to travel to other parts of England. The Health Service is extending the use of a matching platform where patients are matched with providers of the service they need outside their local area. The system was initially launched in January for patients needing a hospital admission, but will now include cancer, diagnostic checks and outpatients' appointments. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has made cutting waiting lists one of his priorities for 2023, pledging in January that lists will fall and people will get the care they need more quickly. However, he has said strikes across the health service are making the task more challenging.
0: A study looking at improving stroke care in the West Midlands by taking patients directly to a specialist center could help hundreds of people make a better recovery from stroke. The SPEEDy trial is being carried out by West Midlands Ambulance Service (WMAS) in partnership with Newcastle University. It is being funded by the National Institute for Health and Care Research. Patients with clots blocking the large blood vessels of their brain may be treated with a thrombectomy, where the clot is pulled out directly using a tiny cage at the end of a flexible tube. At the moment, patients are usually taken to their local stroke hospital first before being taken to a specialist thrombectomy centre. As part of the trial, WMAS was the first ambulance service to test out the new pathway where patients are taken directly to thrombectomy centres, with Northwest Ambulance Service now also taking part and more set to join. Christine takes the opportunity to reflect on what a thrombectomy is
1: According to the Stroke Association, a thrombectomy is a relatively new procedure used to treat some ischemic stroke patients. An ischemic stroke is caused by a clot cutting off the blood flow to part of the brain and is the most common type of stroke. The thrombectomy involves the insertion of a clot removal device through a catheter to pull or suck out the clot and restore blood flow. It is able to remove clots which are too big to be broken down by clot-busting drugs. A thrombectomy is normally only performed up to 6 hours after symptoms show and it is only suitable for around 1 in 10 stroke patients. It is a highly specialised procedure and only a few hospitals are able to provide it. Queen Elizabeth Hospital Birmingham and Royal Stoke University Hospital are two of the hospitals which perform the procedure in the West Midlands.
0: There are approximately 100,000 strokes in the UK each year, which equates to one in every five minutes. The SPEEDY trial is looking to assess more than 500 patients who receive a thrombectomy before evaluating the outcome of the study. Research paramedic Josh Miller said, We hope this research will speed up people's access to the brain-saving treatment. We also think it will mean more people can access this treatment. Around 10% of stroke patients could be suitable for thrombectomy, but at the moment only 2% receive it. If more people receive thrombectomy, more quickly, patients will have better outcomes, returning to life as normal after their stroke. It is important to emphasise that nothing changes in terms of what members of the public should do if they think someone is having a stroke. The FAST test remains the right thing to do to monitor symptoms. And if you have any concerns, you should dial 999 immediately.
1: The FAST test. Facial weakness – Can the person smile? Has their mouth or eye drooped? Arm weakness – Can the person raise both arms? Speech problems – Can the person speak clearly and understand what you say? Time to call 999 if you see any of these signs. The take-up of a free health check across a city has been seen to be higher than the national average. The NHS health checks, which are available to eligible 40 to 74-year-olds once every five years, have been taken up by nearly 3,000 people across Wolverhampton across the first three months of the year, higher than the same period across other parts of the region. The checks assess the individual's health, and identifies relatively simple lifestyle changes they could make to lower their risk of developing serious but preventable conditions such as heart disease, stroke, kidney disease, type 2 diabetes, some cancers and dementia. In addition, 960 more checks were completed in Wolverhampton between April and June compared to the same period last year. Councillor Jaspal, Wolverhampton Council's Cabinet Member for Adults and Wellbeing said, It's great that so many more people in Wolverhampton are coming forward for their NHS health check when it's due. It's free and will help you to take steps to maintain or improve your health. It only takes about 30 minutes and you'll be asked some simple questions such as family history and choices which may put your health at risk. Your height, weight and blood pressure will be recorded and there will also be a simple blood test to check your cholesterol level. You will be provided with your results and given advice on any steps you might need to take to reduce the risk of developing heart disease, stroke, diabetes and kidney disease. Wolverhampton is also currently trialling online NHS health checks, giving people the opportunity to complete their regular health check from the comfort of home. Some eligible residents may receive an invitation via SMS or email from their GP practice to complete much of their NHS health check online should they wish. Everyone else will continue to be offered an in-person check in the usual way. Councillor Jaspal said if you are sent an invitation for a digital health check you will be invited to answer a series of questions online which will give you a better understanding of your health status. You may also be offered a blood test at home or be asked to book an appointment to come in for a blood test and blood pressure reading. If you choose to be sent a home blood test kit you will be sent full instructions on how to collect the sample and return it to the lab. If you think your NHS health check is overdue, please speak to your GP practice. And please remember, if you are concerned about any aspect of your health, contact your GP practice to discuss these. Please don't wait for an invitation for your NHS health check. Alternatively, NHS health checks are being offered at the Health Hub in the Manda Centre Upper Mao, opposite Wyman, with no appointment necessary. For more information on NHS health checks, go to wolverhampton.gov.uk forward slash health check.
2: next we hear from helen who as usual has our latest beacon update hi
3: everyone it's helen back with your weekly update now if you've got kids or have a little person in your life are you ready for this new school year for me it seems like we've literally just started the summer holidays still but they are rapidly passing us by so whether you've got a little one who is heading into class for the first time or a bigger one who's raring to get back to their friends We've got the perfect gifts to let them know that you'll be thinking of them when school does start again next month. Our first day flag comes with a pack of crayons. It's perfect for those starting for the very first time this year. Your little one can complete a masterpiece, which will be the perfect photo prop when you're getting ready to wave them off. And they can also have their very own 3D printed personalized name tag for their bags. I've already got them for my lot. They look great. Purchasing from Beacon's Made by Fab Lab range means that you'll also be helping people to live well with sight loss. Shop now via our Etsy site. It's www.etsy.com and search for us at Made by Fab Lab. Now fancy taking a dip? Our site-friendly swimming sessions are among the most popular in our community activity programme. You can find details of our next trip on our website www.beaconvision.org Forward slash what hyphen on hyphen August hyphen twenty twenty three. Alternatively, you can always give us a ring on 01902 111. Now, we love to say thank you at Beacon, and this week I have a big thanks to the Wolverhampton-based Moore Group that run the spa shops. They've recently supported Beacon with a donation. Their generosity will help us fund crafty activities in our health and well-being sessions, so that. Nobody has to face sight loss alone. We so appreciate their support. Now last this week, how much is that doggy in the window? We love our four-legged friends here at Beacon and our Sedgley shop has got something for dog lovers of all ages. From Paw Patrol games and dog jigsaws to dog-themed clothing and cuddly toys. Pop in to pick up the perfect pooch-related gift. You can find our location and our opening hours on our website www.beaconvision.org forward slash shops. That's it for this week.
2: We'll be back again soon with another update. Bye bye. Thanks for that update, Helen. Next up, we have another block of local news. And up first, we hear from Christine.
1: Did you notice anything different with your local authority waste collection this week? Well... A new upcycled electric vehicle for waste collection is being trialled in Sedgley from this week. Dudley Council is trialling the new electric refuse vehicle to test the vehicle's capabilities and its suitability for refuse collections. It is a previous diesel vehicle which has been upcycled to run on electricity. And the pilot is part of the authority's commitment to invest in renewable energy. Residents in the Sedgley area, in particular around Northway and Gospel End, will have seen the trial vehicle on their streets on Monday. For the purpose of the trial, The schedule was adjusted for the vehicle to undertake back-to-back collections so some residents may have seen their bins being collected into the late afternoon or early evening rather than a typical morning collection. Residents were also asked to leave their bins at the curbside. Councillor Damien Caulfield, Dudley Council's Cabinet Member for Highways and Environmental Services said, This is an exciting new concept and this trial could pave the way for the eventual electrification of our fleet. We are looking to be the front runners to pilot upcycling of current diesel fleet with a view to full EV in the future. This will play a major part in reaching our goal of being carbon neutral by 2030. Councillor Dr Rob Clinton, Cabinet Member for Climate Change, said, This will be an interesting trial to see if these electric vehicles can manage the hilly terrain and busy roads of our borough. I look forward to hearing the feedback and recommendations that come out of this trial and hope it can help us move towards further cutting our own carbon emissions.
2: Major improvements will be carried out along a busy Black Country commuter route thanks to a £30 million partnership. The improvements will be made along the busy A4123 route linking Wolverhampton City Centre to Hagley Road via Dudley and Sandwell. Plans for the 17km highway include a proposed segregated cycleway and upgraded footpaths, which will improve safety, provide greater priority at junctions and encourage more people to swap cars for bikes, particularly on shorter journeys. Bus priority measures will also be installed along the route, allowing for quicker and more reliable bus services and to make them more attractive to commuters. Transport for West Midlands is working with Dudley, Sandwell and Wolverhampton councils on the project, which is designed to encourage more people to walk, cycle or use public transport. The improvements will be delivered in stages over the next four years. The A4123 runs from the Wolverhampton City Centre Ring Road to Dudley and passes through Oldbury, Cosley, and Junction 2 of the M5 before meeting Hagley Road the A456 on the edge of Birmingham. Options for future development of a rapid bus or tram route on Hagley Road are also being explored to provide quicker links onto Birmingham and other local centres. TFWM, which is part of the West Midlands Combined Authority, WMCA, is using funding from the City Region Sustainable Transport Settlement, awarded by government last year to pay for the scheme, which, pending business case approvals, will be completed by 2027. Andy Street, Mayor of the West Midlands and WMCA Chairman, said this is a key commuter route through the Black Country and... Given how congested it can get at peak times, we can and must do more to ease congestion. That's why we're investing in cycling and public transport infrastructure to give local people the option to leave their cars at home, reducing traffic jams, improving our air quality and helping tackle the climate emergency. We've set ambitious targets for increasing cycling and walking, but we know that safety fears can act as a barrier. Creating a safe cycleway will make it easier and more convenient for residents to get on their bikes, having fun and boosting their mental and physical health along the way. Creating a safe space and accessible environment to navigate in is of utmost importance with any major new development or improvement to existing services. However, Recent announcements of plans to close ticket offices at railway stations have been heavily criticised, not least by organisations representing visually impaired passengers. As a result, the original very short consultation period has been extended. Here's Soundings contributor Alistair who can tell us more.
4: Soundings. Features from across the UK
5: This is Alastair Hutton with an article written by Heather. After an outcry from the public, visually impaired groups, disability organisations, the media and unions, rail companies have extended their consultation period on their plans to close hundreds of ticket offices. This means you now have, until Friday the 1st of September, to send in your views on proposals to close many railway station ticket offices in favour of selling more tickets online or via ticket vending machines. The original consultation was only due to last for three weeks in July, but the Rail Delivery Group has announced that the consultation period will now last until the 1st of September to give as many people as possible the chance to respond. There are several ways to respond to the consultation with some of the options explained at the end of this article. Our plans for each local area vary. The overall plan is that rail companies want to move staff out from behind ticket office windows to provide more support for customers buying tickets and navigating stations. The rail companies say this would move staff into new multi-skilled customer host roles, which would enable staff to offer better support to help customers buy tickets, plan their journeys, and navigate stations. The rail companies argue that only 12% of rail tickets are now bought from ticket offices, a drop from 82% bought at ticket offices in the mid-1990s. The companies also estimate that 99% of all transactions made at ticket offices last year could have been made online or by using ticket vending machines, although they recognize that some ticket vending machines would need to be upgraded to offer a wider range of ticket options. Under the new plans, some ticket offices would remain open in busy stations – in some cases passengers would be able to buy tickets at their end destination if their ticket was not available at the station where they boarded the train. Organisations and campaigners representing visually impaired and disabled rail passengers have objected strongly to the ticket office closure plans, arguing that they would make travelling much more difficult for anyone who has a problem with their vision or mobility. If you want to add your voice to the consultation, remember, you need to respond by Friday the 1st of September. If you've already responded, you don't need to resend your comments. If you have an online access, you can go to the Transport Focus website to find out more at uk slash 121, all lowercase, and that address, again, is tnflink.uk slash 121. This webpage provides a link to a simple consultation response form, as well as email addresses for each local train operator. If you want to submit a general response to the national proposals without using the form, you can email it to Schedule 17, and the 17 is in figures, Schedule 17 at transportfocus.org.uk where you can send your comments by free post to rteh-xage-bykz transport focus comma post office box 5594 comma south on c comma ss19pz that's a long address, so here it is again. R-T-E-H dash X-A-G-E dash B-Y-K-Z, stop. Transport Focus, comma, Post Office Box 5594, South End on C, comma, SS1-9-P-Z. If you need assistance to provide your feedback, then you can con- contact Transport Focus by phone, on 0, 0300 0,
4: 0, 2, 2, 3, TNS soundings.
2: Now it's time to test your knowledge as we have the quiz questions for this edition brought to us by Mina.
6: Hello and welcome to this week's Flashback Quiz. All the answers you need can be found later in Flashback Roger's Did You Know feature. But for now, these are your questions. we go. Question one. Which ancient people used cocoa beans for currency? Question two. In what year did fries introduce solid chocolate bars? Question 3. What ingredient was found to be the secret to milk chocolate? Question 4. Why is white chocolate not chocolate? Question 5. In a recent study, what happened when chocolate fragrance was used in bookshops? And finally, question six. What surprising benefit does eating pure cocoa have? I will be back with you later in the show to give you the answers. But for now, best of luck!
2: Cheers for those questions, Mina. Hmm, I'll get my mind working on them. Up now, however, is another block of local news.
0: A charity dedicated to saving dogs is all set up to help more than ever as they implement thermal drones to help save lost dogs. Drone to Home a Wolverhampton-based dog charity, has partnered with drone provider Cocktrits to increase the chances of Wolverhampton dog owners reuniting with their beloved pets. The advanced thermal drones will empower the charity's volunteers to swiftly respond to cases of missing dogs in various scenarios and locations across Wolverhampton. Phil James, CEO and founder of Drone to Home, said, The drone technology and training provided by Coptrix is game changing for us as a charity and will make a tremendous difference to dog lovers across Wolverhampton who may have lost their pet. The drones provided will allow a greater detection rate due to their powerful thermal capabilities, and so we now need the help of local volunteers with an interest in flying drones or saving pets to help us uncover more dogs across the region. The volunteer-led charity, which has so far saved over 1,900 dogs across the UK since launching, will now be capable of scanning a four-square-mile radius within just 20 minutes. Amanda Spate, Director of Operations and Corporates, said, when we found out about the invaluable work the Drone to Home charity is doing, we jumped to the chance to get involved and lend our support. A lot of the team here are dog owners, and I know the anguish it can cause if a four-legged friend goes missing. It's extremely rewarding to know our drone technology and volunteer training is going to enable the charity to expand its search across Wolverhampton. Drone to Home is now looking for volunteers to help commandeer the drones, offering full training free of charge through the Coptrix Partnership. More information can be found at dronetohome.co.uk.
2: Tributes have been paid following the death of a much-loved and respected fire service search and rescue dog. Cara, aged 9, sadly passed away after succumbing to a heart condition. Now, fire service members have praised the Belgian Malinois for her long service and amazing legacy. Cara joined the West Midlands Fire Service in 2016 as a member of the Urban Search and Rescue, USAR Dogs, with her handler Mick Atwood. She quickly went on to develop a legacy of respect within her team on and off duty. The fire dog was among the first of her breed to be accepted into the USAR, fulfilling a long history of deployments, frequently being deployed in the UK, but also abroad with the UK International Search and Rescue in Sicily and Kosovo. Cara sadly died shortly after retiring. Mick Atwood, her handler, said, It's incredibly sad that Kara's passing was so soon after her retirement. I'm very proud to say that she leaves an amazing legacy behind her. She always enjoyed meeting people and all the fuss she got, yet she always knew the level of self-control needed for whoever she met. On and off duty, she excelled in all environments. Working with her was the greatest blessing any handler could wish for. She set the standard and we are extremely proud of all that she achieved in her nine years. Rest easy, Cara. Assistant Chief Fire Officer Simon Barry said, This is incredibly sad news. Cara was a much-loved dog and a well-respected member of the brigade. She has been a huge asset to our search and rescue team, aiding our communities in the West Midlands and beyond. Everyone at the West Midlands Fire Service expresses their gratitude to Cora for her service.
1: Dinosaurs are stalking the streets of Wolverhampton. and families are invited to track them down for the chance to win prizes. Nine of the giant lizards have taken up residence as part of a new city-wide discovery trail. Compton Care has joined in the fun of the Enjoy Wolverhampton Dinosaur Trail, which is called Jurassic Wolves, and challenges dinosaur lovers of all ages to walk around the city centre with a map and attempt to find all nine dinosaurs. The event started on July twenty second and runs until September third, allowing plenty of time to find the dinosaurs, which include a velociraptor, a stegosaurus, a baby brachiosaurus and a triceratops, and to learn about each, including the name, as part of a competition. The streets of Wolverhampton resemble the Jurassic Wilderness as people search for the realistic and vibrant dinosaurs as well as complete a fossil dig and meet a number of baby dinosaurs at a family event. It is the latest big search event to hit the city following the successful wolf hunt which saw dozens of wolves hidden all across Wolverhampton in locations such as West Park, East Park and the Wolverhampton Civic Centre. City venues such as the Manda Centre and Waterstones are involved in the trail, as is the Compton Care Superstore in St George's Parade, opposite the open-air market, which is playing host to a Dilophosaurus. The Superstore helps to raise funds for the charity, which provides palliative and respite care for people suffering from terminal and serious illness and their families, and mascot Custard was on hand to welcome the Dilophosaurus to the Superstore for the trail. Store manager Claire Walker said it was really important for the Superstore to be part of the trail as it helped it to continue to connect with the community. She said, I think it's really important as we're a community charity and community is at the heart of everything we do. So it's just nice to be in the centre of Wolverhampton and include the dinosaur as part of the family thing. I think having mascot custard and the dinosaur here helps make Compton more approachable as it's a way that we can reach out and involve children and adults as everyone smiles when they see him. Compton marketing and PR manager Grace Clark said it was a great engagement piece with the community to be involved in the trail. She said, it's good to get children and families involved as we obviously deal with some heavy topics at Compton and it's nice to be able to open up to the community and invite people to see our friendly faces. And the more the merrier for people to come down to the superstore and also get to see dinosaurs. Who doesn't love a dinosaur? To find out more about Jurassic Wolves and to take part, go to jurassicwolves.co.uk.
0: Time now for some nostalgia from Angela, looking back at when police tried a new crowd control method and it was deemed a success.
2: Uh oh! Trouble on the North Bank! It's Wolves vs Burnley on September 20th, 1969 and police were using a new method of crowd control for the first time at Molyneux. High-powered binoculars. They were a response to concern about ever-increasing hooliganism on the terraces. According to Wolverhampton Police, they were a great success, the Star reported afterwards. For the first time for many months, no arrests were made at a match. Explaining the reasons behind the introduction of binoculars, a senior police officer said Hooliganism at football grounds had become so prevalent and the troublemakers melted into the crowd, slipping away from the scene of the fight by the time officers had arrived. With the binoculars, which give a very clear picture from a long way off, the troublemaker can be spotted and using two-way radio, a police officer can catch him quickly, the officer said. The Stars report continued. On Saturday, there were two sets of binoculars in use, both trained on the north bank where much of the trouble at Molyneux is caused. One set was positioned in the commentator's box, the other near the board where half-time scores are listed. The binoculars were not merely to catch offenders, but also to act as a deterrent, being positioned so the crowd could clearly see they were in use. In a further effort to stop hooliganism at Molyneux, Wolverhampton police are also turning away from the ground people wearing big boots and helmets. This was, after all, the era of skinheads and buffer boots. But helmets? What were the helmets worn by the North Bank's hooligans? The result of the match, incidentally, was Wolves 1, Burley 1. Earlier that month, two youths had been fined for offences committed at the Chelsea vs Ipswich match when they had both been spotted by a police officer using similar binoculars as had been used at Molyneux. Binoculars are just one of many types of magnifiers which may be able to help with carrying out distance and near-vision activities from reading an information screen at a bus or train station to reading a food label or medication instructions. Thankfully, we have got Liz and Christine on hand with further information from some leading sight loss charities to help sharpen our knowledge a little bit more.
1: held magnifiers. This is the most familiar style. The lens is held away from the object and the device has a handle. Many handheld magnifiers have built-in lighting. Some are pocket size, particularly useful for shopping and other outdoor tasks. Handheld devices are available in a wide range of magnification. Some are designed to stand on the page to maintain the correct distance between the lens and the text. These are known as stand magnifiers and might be helpful if your hands are a little shaky. They are available in a wide range of magnification. Some low-powered options have a deep enough stand to fit a pen underneath for writing. They can be plugged in or fitted with batteries. Following referral for a low vision assessment from your GP, hospital ophthalmologist or community optometrist, optician, handheld magnifiers may be available to you on a free loan basis from your NHS hospital eye service. You do not need to be registered as sight impaired or severely sight impaired to access the service and the magnifiers can be exchanged at subsequent visits should your vision, or vision needs, change.
0: Bright-field, flat-field magnifiers. These are commonly known as bar or dome magnifiers that look like a paperweight or a shaped ruler. The magnifier is placed flat on the page and you slide it across to read a line of text. They are only available in lower levels of magnification, but it is possible to combine them with other magnifiers. A bar magnifier only enlarges in one direction, so letters are taller, but the width of the text is unchanged. This enables several words to be seen at one time.
1: Round the neck magnifiers. These magnifiers are worn on a cord around the neck, some may rest on your chest. They are useful for hobbies like knitting and crafting where you need to have your hands free. Other hands free alternatives are those such as sheet magnifiers, table stand magnifiers and multi-function LED lamps. However, these are all only available in lower levels of magnification so may not be suitable for all.
0: Binoculars and Monoculars These are specially designed for people with low vision. They are smaller and lighter than ordinary telescopic systems. Monoculars are for use with one eye, whereas binoculars are for use with both eyes. They can be useful for tasks and activities like reading bus numbers and notice boards, or visiting the theatre. Binoculars can only be used for distance tasks but most monoculars can be used for distance and near-vision activities from about 15 cm. Monoculars have many uses, but operating them takes longer to master. Your low vision service may be able to help by lending you distance units free of charge and demonstrating how to use them. Specialist
1: Electronic Low Vision Devices There are many different types and models of electronic magnifying device. These incorporate a camera and the image is sent electronically to a viewing screen. Many have controls that can alter contrast, enhance or reverse colors and adjust focus and magnification levels suitable for your needs.
0: video magnifiers. These are also known as closed-circuit television CCTV magnifiers. An object or text is placed beneath a camera and the image is projected into a TV screen or built-in monitor. The larger tabletop or desktop devices can achieve very high levels of magnification, although they can be heavy and take up a lot of room. Other devices may have a handheld camera which will slide over the text. This can be useful if looking at objects with a slightly curved surface such as a thick book where the text curves towards the spine. Portable video magnifiers have a built-in camera and screen and can help you read with greater flexibility such as a food label in the supermarket, a menu in a restaurant or even a timetable at the station. However. Because of the screen size you see only a smaller area of text.
1: Mainstream electronic devices Many people are using the inbuilt cameras of their smartphone or tablet as a magnifier and or screen reader. Portable equipment, including free apps that can be downloaded onto mobile phones, can now speak, magnify and even identify items for you. Through text, audio and the internet, these devices can keep you in touch with family and friends as well as read letters and documents for you, also helping you to develop new skills. For further information and a demonstration of any of these devices, you can also contact Beacon's team of sight loss advisors on 01902 880 that's 01902880111. Up next, it's Trivia Time, brought to us by Flashback Roger and his Did You Know feature. It's all yours, Roger. Take it away.
7: Buddy. hope you're all hungry this week, because I've got a real treat for us to digest. So if you sit yourselves comfortably down, grab a cuppa and a chocky biscuit, because now this week I've got a few things to talk about my favourite confection, chocolate. Now then, did you know that? Chocolate was once money that literally grew on trees in Mayan times in Central America. Cocoa beans were used as a currency and were considered to be worth more than gold dust. In order to keep the value of the cocoa bean in check, cultivation of cocoa trees was restricted. Otherwise, it would have just been too tempting to just grow your own currency. And chocolate as we know it today wasn't always the solid way we enjoy it. Oh no, because until 1847, chocolate was a delicacy enjoyed in bitter liquid form. The chocolate company Fry & Sons introduced the concept of eating chocolate after combining cocoa butter, sugar and chocolate liquor. Their concoction was more grainy than smooth though, but it was still enjoyed by many. And a bit later, one Daniel Peter of Fries spent eight long years of trying to figure out a recipe for milk chocolate that would work. But it wasn't until 1875 that he realised that condensed milk was the answer to all of his troubles. And I for one am so glad Daniel never gave up. And why chocolate really isn't chocolate? Really? Well, white chocolate isn't actually considered to be chocolate at all because it doesn't contain any cocoa solids or cocoa liquor. This sweet treat is made up of a blend of cocoa butter, vanilla and sugar. All I can say is, the milky bars are on me! Now here's a technical one about chocolate. The mere smell of chocolate increases theta brain waves which trigger relaxation. In fact, a recent study shows that when chocolate scent was diffused in bookstores sales of books actually increased. Chocolate also contains a substance called tryptophan, and eating it affects endorphins in the brain and increases the production of serotonin, which causes generalized euphoria. And it isn't generally accepted, but it is said that chocolate is great for your teeth. It just so happens that chocolate has an antibacterial effect in the mouth. Eating pure chocolate can actually prevent tooth decay, the real question though is why on earth no one produces any chocolate flavoured toothpaste. So now then folks, if this week's kaleidoscope of delicious facts doesn't get you reaching for your favourite chockey treat, then you're no chocoholic like what I am. Ooh, this lot gets me drooling for me Kit Kat, so I'll have one with me brew I think. Till next week then, I'll just say bye for now, I'll be back, but I might be a pound or two heavier if I keep on this chockey trip, road, up folks ta
2: Up now, we have to hear what the weather has in store for us. Brought to us, come rain or shine, by our own sunny Mina.
6: The weather for this week ahead is forecast to continue to be unsettled with some outbreaks of showers. But, to great relief, plenty of dry and sunny spells too. Temperatures are also forecast to improve from last week with the highs of around 24 degrees. With some prolonged spells of sunshine, the expected UV levels are set to increase to high. The sunrise and sunset times are 6am for the sunrise and 8.15pm for the sunset. Friday 18th of August is set for a beautiful day. With a gentle breeze and unbroken sunshine forecast for the day, the temperature should be much more like it for this time of year and a high of 24 degrees. Moving on and yes, you've guessed it, it's the return of the weekend washout. (laughs) There's chance of the sun making a brief appearance here and there, but Saturday also brings the strongest risk of some thundery showers too, so do take care. With a gentle breeze, temperatures over the weekend will continue to hold up well around 23 degrees. On to next week, and will summer be sticking around with us? Yes, kind of. For the first part of the week, from Monday 21st of August to Tuesday 22nd of August, all looks dry, with it being sunny and very pleasant, but the showers will begin to return as we head into Tuesday evening. It is forecast for the unsettled weather to dominate for the rest of the week, with plenty of sharp showers in the region on Wednesday 23rd of August and Thursday 24th of August. With a gentle breeze, we will see temperatures at highest of around 20 degrees. The showers are forecast to be light but persistent, so it looks like our brollies are set to be kept busy. So, that's your usual mixed bag of rain and
1: sun for the week. And as always, enjoy the weather. Cheers for that weather update, Mina. Now it's time to find out how our local football teams have been getting on.
2: It was liftoff for Albion's 2023 24 campaign as they followed consecutive away defeats with an opening home win at the Hawthorns by holding off a late Swansea fight back. Carlos Corberan's men were 3 2 winners over the Welsh visitors in a largely impressive performance, albeit a nervy, tense final 15 minutes. The Baggies responded to any optimism inside the Hawthorns ahead of kickoff with a bright and purposeful start. The hosts were much the brighter and particularly willing to attack down the right where Jed Wallace, Jason Molumbi and Darnell Furlong linked well. The excellent Semi aj a Carl Washworth own goal and John Swift's penalty had Albion three up and cruising after the hour and the hosts were good value for the lead having been dominant but Big Swans defender Harry Arling powered in a header before laying one on for defensive colleague Nathan Wood minutes later to set up a dramatic finale. The Hawthorns grew more and more anxious, but with Sarmiento's dribbling and trickery useful later on, Albion were able to dig in and grind out a crucial three points. The baggy's backline was on song for 75 minutes as Albion looked home and hosed and an edgy finale should not detract from what appeared defensive progress. In his post-match interview, head coach Carlos Corberon, who named Matt Phillips as a makeshift striker because of Thomas Asante's setback suffered at Stoke in midweek, refused to show much positivity after his side held on for the win. Instead insisting, we have won the game suffering, without managing the game in the way we need to. The best thing was of course the result, but the worst thing was that we suffered more than we had to suffer during one part of the game. The result is a positive, but even then my focus is to improve my team. Today we had some moments, but we were not enough in other moments too. Gary O'Neill's tenure as Wolves' boss started in defeat at Old Trafford despite a superb spirited team performance, as a late VAR check denied them what many pundits are labelling a stonewall penalty. Entering the 2023-24 season with just days to prepare after Julian Lopetegui's exit, Wolves played like a side that had been working for O'Neill for a number of years. At a loud and boisterous Old Trafford, in which the travelling support were making themselves heard, Wolves made a confident start to the game. They were assured and solid in defence, tenacious, pressing and winning plenty of midfield battles and notably creating a conveyor of chances. Wolves are finding joy on the counter-attack, the outstanding Matthias Kuhner repeatedly dropping deep to receive the ball and break at speed. Flanked by the equally impressive Pedro Neto and Pablo Sarabia, the game became increasingly open as both sides attacked and found space. And after failing to finish their chances, Wolves reached half-time at 0-0 and were the better side overall, a positive first 45 minutes under O'Neill. Wolves started the second half the same as the first. This time, Mateus Nunes went on a magnificent run down the middle. The ball eventually found itself at the feet of Mateus Kuna on the edge of the six-yard box for the biggest chance of the lot, but he somehow managed to strike the outside of the post when it seemed easier to score from such close range. Would Wolves rue these missed opportunities? They sure would, as all of Wolves' good work was finally undone After 76 minutes, when United took the lead, Rafael Varane headed home from close range. Wolves still gave a good account of themselves and pushed for an equaliser, with the loud away support behind them as they came close on a number of occasions. If the prospect of a 1-0 defeat following such a sterling performance was not unjust enough, there was even time for some VAR controversy for the Wolves faithful to make it an even more bitter pill to swallow. As in the final moments or injury time, the United goalkeeper, Onana, charged out to claim a cross, only to clatter into two Wolves players. The on-field officials did not award Wolves a penalty, and after a dramatic pause as VAR checked the replays, they too failed to overturn the decision and award Wolves what seemed like a clear penalty. Speaking in his post-match presser, head coach Gary O'Neill revealed the PGMOL, the body responsible for refereeing games in English professional football, had already apologised to Wolves' penalty denial at Old Trafford, confirming referee and current PGMOL Select Group 1 manager John Moss had admitted it was the wrong decision. When asked if he was told why it wasn't given, O'Neill said, I was told live during the game, yes. They didn't think it was a clear and obvious error, but having spoken to Jonathan Moss and fair play to him to come straight out, he just apologised and said it was a blatant penalty and it should have been given. Wolves had 23 shots, the second most against United at Old Trafford since data was first collected 20 years ago, which O'Neill said was testament to his side's confidence to attack. If this is an insight into Gazeball, with O'Neill at the wheel, then it's sure to be one exhilarating ride for wolves this season.
1: Now, here come the quiz answers, and they're brought to us by Mina. Hello,
6: and here are your answers for this week's flashback quiz. Feeling confident? How will you score? Let's see. Question 1. Which ancient people used cocoa beans for currency? And the answer? The main people. Question 2. In what year did fries introduce solid chocolate bars? And the answer here is 1847. Question 3. What ingredient was found to be secret to milk chocolate? And the answer here is condensed milk. Question 4. Why is white chocolate not chocolate? And the answer here is because it doesn't contain cocoa solids or cocoa liquor. Question 5. In a recent study, what happened when chocolate fragrance was used in bookshops? And the answer here is, sales of books increased. And finally, question 6. What surprising benefit does eating pure cocoa have? And the answer here, of course, is it has antibacterial qualities. Did you get them all right? If not, not to worry, as I will be back next week to test you all
0: once again. Bye for now. The World Blind Games takes place in Birmingham from 18th of August until the 27th of August. Soundings contributor Liz takes the opportunity to reflect on the many Sporting achievements of wheelchair athlete Tani Gray Thompson and her campaigning on disability issues.
2: TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK.
8: Hello again, folks. It's Liz here. Today I have the life story of Dame Tani Gray Thompson. And really there are two themes for my chat to you today. The first is her astonishing sporting career. And the second is her continuing work in regard to disability and sport and access for all. So let's keep it simple. The first theme is her sporting life. Now, she was born in 1969 in Cardiff. She was given the name Caris Davina Gray. A very, very tiny and frail wee baby. And her sister thought she was so small that she started just to call her that. Tiny, tiny. And after a few days, this became somehow evolved into Tanny. And the name stuck with the family, as they sometimes do. She was diagnosed by the doctors as being a wee girl with spina bifida. The issues at that time were some that are still faced by families here nowadays. What kind of education could Tani have? And her family fought very hard with their belief that their girl would thrive far better in a mainstream school. And they were able to secure her a place and that's where she was. Her first few years she managed to walk about a little bit with with increasing difficulty but from the age of seven Tani has been in a wheelchair. She moved through primary into secondary, became interested in sport and from the age of 13 showed a tremendous talent and a tremendous drive to take part in wheelchair racing and by the age of only 17 she was part of the British wheelchair racing squad. Now that age of 17 was also a very important year in other aspects for Tani because by that time she required major surgery looking to her adult health. She went through the major surgery and a metal rod was grafted onto her spine to give her strength, to give her strength looking ahead because the sporting coaches could already see that health-willing, this was a girl who could achieve great things. By the beginning of her international career, she was showing this skill, this drive and this talent at shorter distances. In fact, by the end of her astonishing physical international career, she had competed in five Olympic Games all the way winning gold medals from short distances into longer distances. And even in our last Paralympic Games, which were in Athens in 2004, she won two gold medals at the shorter distances. But I think another aspect of how widely known she is, is when she lengthened the distance towards the marathon. And the marathon, the London marathon, Was on the television year after year, and the coverage included the wheelchair marathon. And that's when people saw this slight figure taking on this long distance. Tanya Gray actually won the London Marathon six times between 1992 and 2002. She also managed to gain a university degree. What could this woman not achieve? But perhaps an aspect of her really great success in her life is that she is driven to know what's best to do at the right time. She announced her retirement from competitive racing and has really dedicated her life since then to promote disabled people in all areas of life and also to promote their access for sport because she believed it had given her a focus and a drive and a purpose in her life. And she wants to broaden these ideals to as many folks as possible. In that regard, What Tani Grey has is the skill to speak to people, communication skills, visibility, and that has opened doors. In fact, what happened was she became so high profile within the public sphere that the decision was made that she should be offered a place in the House of Lords. She decided that she wasn't interested in joining any party, so she's there as a non-party political people's peer. Oh, that was a lot of peas for me to get my head round, but I hope you still stuck with this. And there she is, working in the House of Lords, has been high profile within that building for improved access, improved access and improving education but also outside the House of Lords advocating, for example, that the Duke of Edinburgh Award Scheme should be broadened and allow access for folks with many different challenges. And I think also I want to stress it's not just disability that interests her. She wants All people who perhaps are not so much in the sporting sphere to be welcomed and to broaden access. And it has given her great, great joy, for example, to see the higher profile these days of women's football, because that's all about seeing women can be as talented, women can be as entertaining, they can show what folk can achieve, and they can provide this great uplifting theme for people of all ages. Due in part to all these campaigns in 2019, she was awarded the BBC Sports Personality Lifetime Achievement. She's now into her mid-50s. I won't give you the exact date because that might upset her. Oh well, it would upset anybody really. And the work goes on. And you know, one thing I have found in looking at the life of Tani Grey Thompson is just how much she is part of a very much wider movement. It's a wider movement which says so many more people should have access to sport and so many people would benefit from this access.
2: TNF Soundings